hate car dealerships. More accurately, I hate what they do to me. I'm typically a pretty easygoing guy. I don't particularly like conflict. But when I go into a car dealership, this dormant instinct wakes up. I'm on full alert. I don't trust the people with whom I'm negotiating. I know that they're trying to milk every last penny out of me, so I become cynical and abrupt. It's something I'm working on. Now, I want us to compare the process of car buying with prayer. When you're buying a car, you have two parties who both want something from the other. And they're both negotiating in their own best interest until hopefully they can reach some agreement with which they can both be satisfied. But is that what prayer is like? Certainly not, right? God is not a slippery car salesman. My apologies to all the upstanding car salesmen out there. Nor is God beholden to us in any way. He does not need anything from us. We have absolutely no leverage over Him. There's nothing we can offer Him to sweeten the deal. Whatever we ask of Him, we're asking on the basis of pure grace. When we left off in our last episode, we looked at the first half of what we often call the Lord's Prayer. If you missed that one, it might be helpful to stop here and go back and listen to it first. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer word for word, but it's also meant to be a kind of pattern we can use to give shape to all of our prayers. And the pattern that Jesus lays out for us begins with us addressing God as our Father in heaven. He is not an entirely distinct party whose interests are at odds with ours. If we are in Christ, He is our Father. We are not buyers from whom He's trying to earn a commission. We are His children whom He loves. He has promised to work all things for our good. He invites us to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. That is not the same as saying, however, that He is obligated to give us whatever we ask. Because the pattern Jesus gives us then leads us to ask that God's name would be hallowed, that His character would be seen as holy through our holiness. The reputation of His character should be primary in our hearts. Today we pick up with the next petition. Jesus tells us next to pray, Your kingdom come. Now, Jesus says some interesting things about God's kingdom. For example, Back in Matthew 4, when Jesus was beginning his public ministry, Matthew summarizes his message as, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If Jesus said in Matthew 4 that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, why would he then tell his disciples in Matthew 6 to pray that God's kingdom would come? Because while God's kingdom had already come with the arrival of Jesus, Jesus is, after all, God's appointed king, it has not yet come in its fullness. Think about World War II. D-Day, when the Allied forces invaded Normandy, was a crucial turning point. It's the moment when the tide began to turn toward victory. But the victory was not complete until V-Day. The time between D-Day and V-Day was a time when, in hindsight, we can see that the victory was certain, but it was not yet finalized. 
That's similar to the time in which we live. The kingdom of heaven has begun its arrival. It was present because the king himself was present. But one day his rule will be seen visibly all over creation. His glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 4 that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and also tell us to pray, Your kingdom come. Our desire when we pray should be not that we could twist God's arm into doing whatever we want Him to do, but that we want the reign of Jesus to spread throughout the world. Personally, in our own lives, we should want the reign of King Jesus to be evident in our words, our thoughts, our actions, even our attitudes. We should want God's kingdom to be visible in the ways we spend our money and the ways we spend our time. And globally, we should pray that God's kingdom would extend to all nations through the gospel. In the words of Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1, we should pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Next, and very much related to that petition, Jesus invites us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, notice the emphasis on our concern for God's will to be done. There's nothing wrong with making your desires known to God. He commands us in Philippians 4, 6, In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But when all is said and done, God is infinitely wise and good. He sees far better than we see, knows more clearly than we know, and wills more purely than we will. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not bending to the pressure of a sleazy salesman who is only looking out for himself. We're entrusting ourselves and our circumstances to our Father in heaven who loves us and has promised to work all things together for our good to make us more like His Son. And how is God's will done in heaven? In heaven, God's will is done joyfully and willingly. So when we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that God's desires would be carried out on earth with the same kind of joy and willingness that they are in heaven. We're praying for God to make us not begrudging servants who lose our will to fight for what we think is right, but willing servants who trust that whatever He deems is right. In the last three petitions of this prayer, we ask God to meet various needs. First, there are physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread, in this case, is a kind of stand-in for all of our basic physical needs. Jesus is not encouraging us to pray for wealth or abundance, but only that God would give us enough to sustain us for today. And we don't pray for daily bread because God needs a reminder to provide for us, but because we need to be reminded of it. This petition is an invitation to set aside our sense of self-sufficiency, of thinking that we can provide for all of our needs just fine on our own, thank you very much. God may work through the labor of farmers who plant and grow. He may work through the rain that waters crops and feeds flocks. 
He may work through our labor to earn a paycheck with which we buy our daily bread, but He is behind it all. He is our provider, and we are wise to remember it. We are wise to ask Him each day, Give us today our daily bread. Next, Jesus tells us to pray, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is when it's helpful to remember the context in which Jesus gave us this pattern for prayer. This is a prayer for someone who can already call on God as their Father. This is a prayer for someone who has already been forgiven and adopted as a child of God, yet we're encouraged to ask God continually to forgive us. And in this case, Jesus invites us to pray that God would forgive us as we also have forgiven others. In other words, we're to ask God to forgive us to the same degree that we have forgiven others. That petition ought then to make us reflect on how forgiving and merciful we have been toward others. Finally, Jesus tells us to pray, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word evil could be translated either simply as evil or as the evil one, namely Satan. Of course, the Bible is clear that God does not tempt anyone to sin, but he does allow difficulties in our lives as tests. Circumstances in our lives can be simultaneously a test from God and a temptation from Satan. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're effectively asking God to deliver us from the evil one's efforts to tempt us. We're asking God to do what he has promised to do in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That final petition is also a reminder to us that apart from God's sustaining grace, we're all susceptible to temptation and to sin. We all need God's help to continue fleeing from sin and fleeing to Christ. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Prayer is not an entitlement we have by nature or by virtue of our own character. It is a privilege that God's children have only because Jesus shed his blood to ransom us from our sin and bring us into the family of our Father in heaven. My hope for you and for me is that we will not take this privilege for granted, that we will not let it sit on the shelf unused, but that we will make use of the fact that the Maker of heaven and earth The Lord of all things, the judge of all the earth, invites us to call on his name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.